you got to know that there are differences in intelligence. It's really important. If you go into a job and you're not smart enough for that job, you're going to have one bloody miserable time. And you're going to make life wretched for the people around you because you won't be able to handle the position. And as you climb hierarchies of competence, the demand on fluid intelligence increases. And so, unless you want to fail, you don't put yourself in over your head. Well, what's over your head? Well, that's a tricky thing to figure out. I mean, you have to figure that out with intelligence, you have to figure it out with conscientiousness, you have to figure it out with creativity, you have to figure it out with stress tolerance, with agreeableness, because you want to go into a cooperative environment and not a competitive one if you're agreeable, and with neuroticism, you want, probably want to keep the stress level of your job relatively low, because those are all places that you can break down. And most people have at least one significant weakness in their intelligence personality makeup. And you've got to be careful not to place yourself in a position where that's going to be a fatal flaw. But what you really want to do, as far as I can tell, if you want to maximize your chances for both success and, and let's say, well-being, is you want to find a strata of occupation in which you would have an intelligence that would put you in the upper quartile. That's perfect. Then you're a big fish in a small pond. And you don't, want to be the, you don't want to be the stupidest guy in the room. It's a bloody rough place to be. So, and you probably don't want to be the smartest guy in the room either, because what that probably means is you should be in a different room. Right? You should look at a place where, if you're right at the top, it's, you've mastered it. It's time to go somewhere where you're a little lower so that you've got something to climb up for. So, and I can, if you're not hyper-conscientious, for example, you're probably not going to want a job that you have to work 70 hours a week at because you're just not wired up that way. You'd rather have some leisure and like more power to you. If that's how you're wired up, there's nothing wrong with having some leisure. But if you're someone who can't stand sitting around doing nothing ever, then maybe you can go into a job that's going to require you to work 75 hours a week. And almost all jobs that are at the top of complex dominance hierarchies require very high intelligence and insane levels of conscientiousness, as well, generally speaking, as pretty damn high levels of stress tolerance, you know, because that can knock you out too, because there's going to be sh sharp fluctuations in your career, generally speaking, at the higher levels of a, of a structure, and you have to make very complicated decisions, often with very short time horizons. So you have to decide if that's what you want. Okay, so how smart do you have to be to be different things in life? Well, if you're have an IQ of 116 to 130, which is 85th percentile and above, so it's one person in eight up to one person in 130, I believe. I think it's 95. One person in eight to one person in 20. Then you can be an attorney, a research analyst, an editor, an advertising manager, a chemist, an engineer, an executive manager, etc. That's, that's the... Now, that's not the high end for IQ, by the way. You know, that, it can go up well, it can go up indefinitely, although there's fewer and fewer people as it goes up. So if you want to be the best at what you're doing, bar none, then having an IQ of above 145 is a necessity. And maybe you're pushing 160 in some situations. And maybe that's make, make, making you one person in 10,000 or even one person in 100,000. And then also, to really be good at it, you probably have to be reasonably stress tolerant and also somewhat conscientious. And you think, well... Why is it that smart people are at the top of dominance hierarchies? And the answer to that, in part, is because they get there first, right? I mean, everything's a race, roughly speaking. And the faster you are, the more likely you are to be at the forefront of the pack. And intelligence, in large part, is speed. That's not all of it is. So if you're moving towards something difficult rapidly, the faster people are going to get there first. So 
IQ of 115, 110 to 115, so that's 85th to 73rd to 85th percentile. Copywriter, accountant, manager, sales manager, analyst, general manager, purchasing agent, registered nurse, sales account executive. Uh, if you look at universities, the smartest people are, they're above this. Who are the smartest people at university? What do you think? Mathematicians. mathematicians. Physicists and mathematicians, right, right. I could tell you who's on the other end, but I won't. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to though. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, okay. Going down the, now 103 to 108 is slightly above average, right? 60th to 70th percentile. Store manager, bookkeeper, credit clerk, lab tester, general sales, telephone sales, accounting clerk, computer operator, customer service rep, technician, clerk, typist. So you see at this level, people, are, people have some technical skill and some ability to deal with complex things. Okay, that's dead average. 100 is average. Dispatcher in a general office, police patrol officer, receptionist, cashier, general clerical, inside sales clerk, meter reader, printer, teller, data entry, electrical helper. 95th to 98. Machinist, food department manager, quality control checker, security guard, unskilled labor, maintenance, arc welder, die setter, mechanic. Good, good IQ range for relatively qualified tradespeople. 87 to 93. Messenger, factory production worker, assembler, food service worker, nurse's aide, warehouseman, custodian, janitor, material handler, packer. Now, what you're seeing, what you're starting to see is that as you move down the hierarchy, the jobs get simpler, they're more likely to be assigned by other people, or they're repetitive. Because what IQ predicts to some degree is how rapidly you can learn something, but once you've learned it, it doesn't predict how necessarily how well you do at it. And so, the more repetitive jobs tend... People with lower IQs are more suited to more repetitive jobs. Under 87, is there something? Well, no. Right. That's a big problem. And it's something our society has not addressed at all. Jobs for people with IQs of less than 85 are very, very rare. So what the hell are those supposed, people supposed to do? It's 15% of the population. What are they supposed to do? Well... We better figure it out, because one of the things that's happening too is that as the, as the high IQ tech geeks get a hold of the world, the demand for cognitive power is increasing, not decreasing, right? You want to be a teller? Well, you know, those checkout machines, they're not so simple. You want to work at McDonald's? You think that's a simple job? You don't see robots working at McDonald's. And the reason for that is that what McDonald's workers do is too complex for, for robots to do. So... Well, so this is a discussion that no one wants to have, but that's okay. It's still a problem, and it has to be dealt with. So the U.S. government, it's illegal to induct anyone into the U.S. Army if they have an IQ of less than 83, right? It's about 10% of the population. Because the U.S. Army, and they've been doing IQ testing since IQ testing began, because they want everybody they can possibly get into the Army, because in peacetime... They use it as a way of moving people up the socioeconomic ladder. And in wartime, well, obviously, you need as many soldiers as you can get your hands on. And so you're not going to be any pickier than you have to be. So when the U.S. Army says it's illegal to induct anybody into the armed forces if they have an IQ of less than 83, then you know that they've done it for absolute necessity. 
right? And when people have made a finding that contradicts what they want to hear and they're doing it out of absolute necessity, you can be reasonably true that it's one of those facts that just won't bloody well go away. And so you might think, well, if there's nothing for someone with an IQ of less than 83 to do in the army, what makes you think that there's something that they can do in the general population? And then the issue is, you know, because the conservatives will say, well, they should just work harder. It's like, sorry, that ain't going to fly. And the liberals will say, well, there's no difference between people anyhow. And you can just train people to do everything. And that's wrong. So they're both wrong. And they're seriously wrong. And the fact that neither side of the political perspective will take a good, cold, hard look at this problem means that we're going to increasingly have a structural problem in our societies because we're complexifying everything so rapidly that you can't find employment unless... Increasingly, unless you're intelligent, you guys are really going to face this, you know. Lawyers are disappearing like mad. And the reason for that is, you can look it up online. Increasingly, you can do things yourself if you're smart. And so, like the working class people have been wiped out pretty nicely over the last 30 years by, by automation and various other things. It's the low end of the white collar class that's coming up next. So I'm not saying that lower lawyers are in the low end, but low end lawyers are in the low end of the white collar class. So there's still going to be plenty of positions for people who are creative and fast on their feet and super smart. In fact, those people are going to have all the money. And that's already happening to a great degree. You know, because if you're smart and you can use a computer, you're so smart it's just absolutely unbelievable, right? And if you can't use a computer, and I don't mean, you know, you can open Word. That isn't what I mean. I mean, maybe I mean you can program. And if you can't program, well, you're right at the next end. So if you haven't got that with you, you're you're going to be left behind. We keep hearing uh, these elite creeps in the media and government say to us, why don't you believe us when we tell you the election wasn't rigged, when we tell you you should take the vaccine? And the reason is you suck and you're corrupt. This is why we don't believe. This is why I talk about an information crisis. The information crisis is the fact that Dean Bacay at the New York Times and George Stephanopoulos and all the rest of these guys are as dirty as the mob, except that less violent. So this week, the reason this comes to mind is this week a story broke and was then covered up by the press. And the reason it was covered up by the press is because the story exposed the press. The press, I have to emphasize this. We used to talk about the bias of the press. The press is not biased. The press is corrupt. This, the, the, the right word is corrupt. They're dirty. They're dishonest. Uh, they, they lie constantly in order to support their left-wing agenda. You remember the Hunter Biden laptop uh, story, the New York Post found Biden's laptop. There were emails on it, uh, which basically showed that Hunter Biden was influence peddling and that suggested that Joe Biden was getting a cut of what he of the money that he was making influence peddling and had helped him along in his influence peddling. This is the way the media covered that story. This is cut 22. FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, 
These emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. <laughs> That's the right-wing media machine. <laughs> I love that. Brian Stelter's got to be the funniest guy on TV if you, you find corruption funny. And I certainly would never find corruption funny. Politico was one of the people who reported it that way as well. And now Politico has a reporter, Ben Schreckinger, who has a new book out that have found evidence that some of the purported Hunter Biden laptop material is genuine, including the two emails that we were talking about. A person who had independent access to Hunter Biden's emails confirmed he did receive a 2015 email from a Ukrainian businessman thanking him for the chance to meet Joe Biden. The same goes for a 2017 email in which a proposed equity breakdown of a venture with Chinese energy executives includes the line 10, namely 10 grand. I think it was 10 held by H for the big guy. It was obviously Sleepy Joe. So you say, all right, the election's over. We lost. It's never going to be revoked. That's the way it is. You know, there were there were polls done by our friends at the Media Research Center saying that if people had known about this story, they would have voted differently and Biden would have lost. Uh, but remember, it was knocked off social media. Twitter banned you if you tried to put it on the media because it was Russian disinformation. So all of these guys were lying. They're all corrupt. They were all dishonest. They all knew. They all knew. They all knew it was at least worth investigating and they all covered it up. So you say, well, what's the point? Well, the corruption is ongoing. And I'll show you what I mean. John Durham. Remember John Durham? He's the guy who was assigned in the Justice Department to investigate the Russian collusion story that really undermined the first two years of the Donald Trump administration. It now looks like it was an FBI hit. That's that's what it looks like, but we don't know yet. But he's been investigating this and now he has delivered his first indictment, which is a guy, maybe his second indictment, his first major indictment, a guy named Michael Sussman, a partner at the Perkins Coy law firm who often work for the Clintons, okay? Here's how it was reported on ABC Nightly News. The special counsel claims that Sussman lied to the FBI, saying he was not representing any clients and suggesting he was acting as a good citizen. But the special counsel believes Sussman was representing a tech company and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Attorneys for Sussman say the case is baseless and unprecedented. And here's how it was reported on NBC and CBS Evening News. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why are they covering up? All right. See, people are trying to play this down. They're saying, oh, it's another one of these things like Michael Flynn lied to the FBI because when they indict you for perjury, it usually means they can't get you for the crime itself. But that's not what this is. That is not true. And they're saying, oh, is this all you got? No, he brought in this indictment because the statute of limitations was about to run out. It may be the first of many indictments. OK, and this is not like Michael Flynn, who was railroaded with this false charge of lying to the FBI. Even the FBI agents who interviewed Michael Flynn said they didn't think he was lying. This is different, right? Sussman took allegations that Trump was being bankrolled by a Russian bank. He took those to the FBI, right? To James Baker, I think, at the FBI. And he told them he wasn't being paid by Hillary, but he was. And he did this because the press wouldn't report on these allegations, but they would report on an FBI investigation into the allegation once it was leaked that the FBI was investigating the allegations. Did the same thing with the famous Russian dossier. Remember that fake dossier that had Trump with prostitutes and all this stuff? James, or as we call him, Muggsy Comey, 
brief Trump on the investigation, then leak the briefing to the press because the press would report on the briefing when they wouldn't report on the dossier because everybody knew the dossier was fake. This sets off two years of reporting that severely hurt the Trump administration. So it's in the past and who cares? But the press not covering it is not covering their own corruption, committing an act of corruption in real time while we're watching. And it's not just them. It's also the FBI, because if you think the FBI didn't know that Sussman was lying, that's ridiculous. He was pals with James Baker. James Baker. James Baker said this was based. He came to me based on a pre-existing relationship. And these are the same guys, the same FBI guys who put the Trump hater Peter Strzok into the Mueller investigation about Russian collusion, right? This is Peter Strzok who told his adulterous girlfriend, the girlfriend he was having an adulterous affair with, she said, oh, no, I hope Trump doesn't win. And he said, no, no, we'll stop it, right? So... <laughs> So this was like a hit on the president of the United States by the FBI. And this is the same FBI we were covering just a couple of weeks ago who couldn't get out of bed to investigate our young women who were being our young women athletes who were being serially molested by the U.S. gymnastics doctor. Right. Same FBI. And who are they investigating? Who are the FBI investigating when they're not investigating uh, you know, serial rapists and all this? They're, here's uh, Christopher Ray, head of the FBI. Cut five. Starting back in uh, June of 2019, uh, I elevated racially and ethically motivated violent extremism to a national threat priority, which is our highest threat priority level. Uh, and I think that has already shown fruits in the fact that we have effectively doubled the number of domestic terrorism investigations and arrests since that time. We uh, have also uh, created a domestic terrorism hate crimes fusion cell to help increase the level of uh, intelligence and information flow that goes out. Certainly from a lethality perspective, as you noted, Mr. Chairman, we have seen those kinds of domestic violent extremists responsible for the most lethal activity over recent years, although I would add that in 2020, we saw a, a significant uptick in lethal action uh, and violence by anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists to go along with the racially motivated violent extremists. <laughs> He's investigating you. He's investigating people who think the government is too powerful. It's all about January 6th. It's all about the charge into the Capitol, which I have said many times I thought was a horrible thing. I thought Trump screwed the pooch on that. He should have come out much faster and stopped it. So they had a demonstration because a lot of these people feel these January 6th protesters are being railroaded. They had a demonstration they had to put the fence back up around the Capitol so AOC wouldn't have a nervous breakdown. They put the fence back up. You can't get into the people's house because all these protesters were going to show up. There were more police and undercover feds. Here's a picture of the undercover feds. You know, this is like greetings, uh, Trump supporters. I, too, am a right wing insurrectionist. Meanwhile, how many people were watching when they found all these Haitians hiding under the bridge at the borders, which are now completely open? Thousands of people out there. No reporters covering that except from Fox News. Fox News sent a drone up and the Biden administration made sure the drone was uh, made illegal. So they weren't exposed, but they were exposed anyway because the, uh, the uh, law enforcement took reporters up in a chopper instead. You know, journalism and law enforcement are urgently important things, both of them. We believe in journalism. We believe in law enforcement. They are the ways we expose corruption. They are dishonest and corrupt. And that corruption is because they are all the same people. You know, Eric Felton uh, at The Federalist 
wrote a piece showing that Sussman and Baker were pals. We know that they were pals, but Baker was also pals with David Korn at Mother Jones, and he's the one who brought him the part of the Steele dossier, which was passed on to the FBI, which was then leaked to the press. Listen to the, just this conversation. I usually don't play other commentators, but this is an important little piece of an interview. Trey Gowdy, the former U.S. prosecutor now on Fox, and the ace Wall Street Journal uh, reporter Kim Strassel. Here's a little, uh, just a little clip about what happened to all these people. In terms of culpability and accountability, we as society, too. You know, Andy McCabe leaves the FBI. He resigns and he's terminated. Uh, you know, terrible handling of both the Russia thing and the Clinton Foundation probe. Uh, he was found to lack candor, uh, approve uh, media calls when he should not have. And what's the first thing that happened? CNN hires him as a contributor. You know, when we as society won't acknowledge uh, that there have been failings and, and move these people out of positions of power, how can we expect that there's going to be any impetus for the organization to change itself? You know, to your point, Kim, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Peter Strzok is an adjunct professor at Georgetown. Now, Mick Mulvaney is a graduate of Georgetown, and he can't get a teaching gig there. Uh, but Peter Strzok, who manifests incredible bias against a presidential candidate while he was investigating that candidate, yeah, let's sign him up. I, I Wow. The FBI, the press, the academy, they all know each other. They're all pals with each other. They collude together and they have gone bad. So the next time Don Lemonhead or Nora O'Donnell or any of these press goons say to you, why don't you believe us when we tell you the election wasn't rigged? Why don't you believe us when we tell you the vaccine is good? And I, and I believe in the vaccine. I think the numbers show the vaccine is working pretty well. But the reason we don't believe them is because you stink, you guys, and you're dirty. You are dirty and you need to be replaced by better people than yourselves. If you enjoyed this video, please give it a like and subscribe and you will get more terrific content like this. When they're talking about racism, they talk about class, inequality, all these things, they may be problems. They may, they may be things that we want to address in our country, but they are emotionally charged issues that they use to take you away from the simple desire to have your money and use your money to solidify their power. To, tomorrow, next week, next week, they are scheduled to start talking about this infrastructure bill and vote on this infrastructure bill and this, what they call this reconciliation bill, which is trillions of dollars. They say it's $3.5 trillion, uh, but the Wall Street Journal calls it one of the greatest fiscal cons in history because it's a massive expansion of the welfare state. And the thing about the welfare state is once you expand it, you never get rid of it because each one of us is being bought off, right? They give you something for quote unquote free. There's a word that should be banned from every journalist's uh, vocabulary, free. Nothing is free. The stars belong to everyone, you know? <laughs> the moon belongs to everyone. Everything here on earth costs something. It costs work, it costs effort, it costs money. When they tell you that you, they are giving you something free, they have taken the money from someone else 
and given it to you. And I can understand why that's attractive to the you, but still, it's not right. It's stealing when you do it by hand. It's stealing when you do it by government fiat. It doesn't mean that we don't all agree on certain small things that have to be taken care of, like law enforcement, fire departments. All of these things we understand have to be done together, and we all chip in except we don't chip in anymore, really. It's just the rich who pay taxes. But still, we understand that this is something government can pay for. After they start rearranging who has the money, taking money away from one and giving it to somebody else, it's just plain stealing. And, you know, it's it's interesting, and I have to give credit to Stephen Crowder for this insight because he pointed it out to me once, and I'd never thought of it before. You know, they always say, well, it's taking from the rich to give to the poor, like Robin Hood. And Crowder pointed out that Robin Hood was trying to... Uh, stop inequality because of too much taxes. His enemy was the king, king, evil King John, who was taxing people too much. And so it's not the business that Robin Hood was out to get. It was the people who were lowering the taxes. So Joe Biden's, this, this is so bad. And the taxes that are going to follow, they're, they're talking about taxing people. And they always talk about taxing the rich. But again, I, don't wanna, I can't explain this forever because I haven't got that much time. But th- when they tax the rich, the middle class pay the taxes. Socialism always ends with the poor and the powerful and the wealthy, right? Because the rich can get out of paying taxes. They don't even make income. They just borrow off their stocks, right? They borrow off their stocks. They pay it back when they've done gotten more stocks. They never. There's no profit anywhere along the way for the government to tax. What they end up taxing is wage earners, people who do well. And they say, well, they make so much money and people who make less money think that's a lot. But you're never rich if you're working for a living. You know, the people who are wealthy do not get taxed. So it's so bad. It's, the numbers are so bad that Biden has to go out and tell people he's a capitalist. Here's that cut. Big corporations and super wealthy have to start paying their fair share of taxes. It's long overdue. I'm not out to punish anyone. I'm a capitalist. If you can make a million or a billion dollars, that's great. God bless you. All I'm asking is you pay your fair share. I've always found it so creepy when he leans into the mic like that, but but he's lying. He's not a capitalist. He is a venal houseplant who goes along with the tide of Democrat politics, and Democrat politics have been going to the left, to the far left. He is now a socialist, whether he likes it or not, whether he would self-identify as that or not, okay? The question with paying your fair share, I mean, I know it drives uh, Shapiro crazy because Shapiro always says the rich pay all the taxes, and when you break it down, that's basically true. The rich pay all the taxes. Certainly the vast majority of it. The question is, what's your fair share of garbage? What's your fair share of programs that don't work except to get Democrats reelected? We are talking about the the programs that are usually termed the Great Society, the, the increase, the vast increase in these kinds of programs that he's trying to do now, right, in the 60s. It was the Great Society. Now they're trying to double down on the Great Society. The problem with the Great Society is it has failed, and it has failed particularly in the lives of black Americans. Jason Riley wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal this week, an excellent column from Riley, uh, talking about the fact that the Great Society programs decimated black lives and stalled black progress. He says, okay, He says uh, entitlement programs were dramatically expanded in the 1960s in the service of the war and poverty, yet poverty fell at a slower rate after the Great Society initiatives were implemented and overall dependency on the government for food, shelter and other basic necessities 
increased between 1940 and 1960. And this is important because people don't know this. Between 1940 and 1960, before the Great Society, but basically after the war, the percentage of black families living in poverty declined by 40 points as blacks increased their years of education and migrated from poor rural areas to more prosperous urban environs in the South and North. No welfare program has ever come close to replicating that rate of advancement, right? That's before the black uh, the, the Great Society. What we experienced in the wake of the Great Society and Society interventions was slower progress or outright retrogression. Black labor force participation rates fell. Black unemployment rates rose. And here's the big one. The black nuclear family disintegrated, as many people warned that it would, because they were basically subsidizing uh, having children out of wedlock. Barry Latzer, criminologist, Barry Latzer has noted that black male homicide rates had been falling in the 1940s by 18% and in the 1950s by 22%, yet this trend would reverse itself beginning in the late 1960s and to continue to worsen for nearly three decades because when you decimate the family, you cause crime. It's that simple. The Democrats keep saying it's the, it's the systemic racism. It's the legacy of Jim Crow. It's them. It's the Great Society. But the problem with the Great Society is it funnels trillions of dollars into the government that the government can then dole out to whom it sees fit and buy votes. When they come into your town and they say, we're going to take care of you, we're going to give you this money. So the problem we have now, right, is that on the right, when we get a Ronald Reagan or a Donald Trump, and this is true of both of them, they cut regulations and they cut taxes, but they don't cut the great society. They don't cut the welfare program because everybody's getting a little piece of it and nobody wants to give it up. Remember, Donald Trump promised, I'm not going to cut, you know, social security. I'm not going to cut any of your dole. I'm just going to cut taxes. So what happens? Our debt goes up and our debt is is now absolutely crushing because after a while you run out of money. They, they now have a new, uh, uh, idea, a new theory. I think it's called modern monetary theory. You can spend as much as you want, and just print new money. Yeah. That theory is wrong. Okay, just just on a guess. I'm just guessing. I'm no expert, but I'm guessing that that theory is wrong. So both of, of the Republicans, our big Republican, real true conservative presidents, Trump and Reagan, cut taxes, but they didn't cut the Great Society because they didn't have the political will backing them. They didn't have the people backing them because everybody wants a piece of it. Then the Democrats come in and they do what they're doing now, which is they double down on the Great Society because that's money in their hands. That is money with which they buy power, right? So they're not going to, they're just going to double down on that. But they talk about increasing taxes, but because those taxes fall on the productive, because they fall on the wealthy, they either don't do it at the last minute, they give up and don't raise taxes at the last minute, or they ruin the economy so taxes go down anyway. This is what we've got. We've got a corrupt governing class that is bought off with this money, that doesn't want to let go of this money. This has been predicted since America was founded. Now people can vote to take your money for themselves, so they will, right? So now we've got this system where the GOP comes in and cuts taxes, but the debt goes up because they don't cut the welfare programs, and the Democrats come in and they increase the welfare programs and they either destroy the economy by taxing the, the wealthier middle class or they just dump the tax uh, increases and they leave us with all this debt. Follow the money. Every time you hear racism, every time you hear some kind of you know, social issue, transgenderism, whatever they're talking about, 
follow the money. It's all about the money. It's all about the corruption. It's all about the power. And this is why I say it's not a question of left and right. It's a question of the problem we have, which is this. This is the problem we have and how to solve it, which is to take the power away from these people to do what they're doing, to get their hands on our dough, okay? Because it ain't about racism. This country is great about racism. We will get along fine if they would just leave us alone, but they have gotten dirty. If you like this video, give it a like. If you didn't like this video, lie. Give it a like and subscribe and you will get more great content like this.